Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Nathan Trunfio, and Nathan is a real estate investor and senior director of sales and marketing at Lima One Capital, a lender offering financing to investors on fix and flip, new construction, rental properties and portfolios, and multifamily bridge loans. He has financed over $1 billion in loans for both single family and multifamily assets. So thank you so much for being on the show, Nathan. Charles, thank you for having me, man. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. So it's great to have you on. You're uh, an investor. You're also a lender. So you know both sides of uh, kind of what each side goes through in getting a deal closed. Uh, can you give us a little background on yourself, both uh, personally and professionally prior to us joining your current firm? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm born and raised in, in Massachusetts. Uh, go all things New England sports. So, sorry mm -hmm. for those that are against them. Uh, it's been a good couple decades here. Um, but I reside uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia uh, for the last about 15 years. So um, coming out of college, um, got a job in uh, finance in the mortgage industry. It was sort of the refinance, refi boom, as we say. Um, and so the first seven, eight years of my career was um, sort of climbing the ranks in the residential or forward mortgage industry from top producer to a, a quasi producing and managing role to then sort of manager and director role uh, running a, a smaller uh, lender. So it was great uh, for me to learn sort of all sides of the sales business uh, and management business. But honestly, it wore on me, um, you know, especially us investors know red tape, slow process, it just doesn't quite jive with what, what sort of our pace of life and, and desired pace with transaction uh, bodes. So I uh, pivoted out of residential financing and went to what I'll call sort of the wild, wild west of business financing. Uh, I ran uh, two different debt funds over about four years. So it was de deploying discretionary capital to small businesses, which is such a great need for it. Um, it was a tough product. It was expensive money because it's high risk lending to small businesses. So essentially I went from the the far right end of lending uh, a lot of red tape and, and for the right reasons, got a lot of guidelines and policies to a little bit wild, wild less west, higher risk. And then about five years ago, I found my happy home in the middle of the two um, private lending industry, other people on this, you know, on the street, we call it hard money. But nowadays, our space has become extremely institutionalized. So um, have been a president of a pretty large balance sheet lender and then really stepped up to the big leagues here at Lima One Capital. We're one of the top, call it three to five in the space. It's actually really interesting. It's a some as big of an industry as it's gotten. It's non-standardized, so it's it's hard to track who really is the top dog. Um, and so uh, running sales and just providing as much value to our organization as possible, helping us grow. We're about 150 people strong. Uh, we originate and hold and service loans all from A to Z as you did a phenomenal job in your intro saying we do a, just about all residential focused um, investment products, fix and flip, new construction, uh, rental loans, rental portfolio loans and multifamily bridge. Um, so we try to cover it all and uh, consider ourselves sort of best in class for the best in class is sort of something we like to say around here. So um, that's my story and sticking to it mainly all that's the finance side. 
Uh, I appreciate the compliment of being an investor. I, I do a handful of deals a year um, just to make sure that um, I can relate to our clientele. Um, and so uh, I wouldn't say that I'm the most sophisticated in that end. Um, probably many of the listeners uh, would run circles around me, but certainly see it from the lending side in, in high volume. Um, we do a, a significant amount of, of loans. And so we see a lot of transactions all throughout the country with different deal strategies, different operator sponsors behind the scenes from no to low experience to extremely high experience, very professionalized uh, organizations, you know, 50, 60, 70 plus people. Uh, whether it's doing many flips, owning hundreds to thousands of doors, single family, multifamily. Again, we cover sort of it all. And that's why I love this space is uh, anything in real estate, anything in real estate investing and anything with action. Nice, nice. Uh, so it's interesting. One of the products that we haven't spoken too much about on the show, which is something that uh, you're the bridge loans for multifamily bridge loans. And it's something that when I was investing a lot with smaller uh, commercial properties like a decade ago, I mean, it wasn't even like it wasn't even really available. You're going to a hard money lender and you're dealing with all that. And I know like when you're dealing with bridge lending, it's kind of getting into hard money for commercial multifamily is what they say. Can you explain a little bit more about um, where you would bring in bridge loan and compare it to more of a perm permanent loan and the risks uh, kind of, cause I don't think that's something that people really take into consideration. Yeah, man. I love, I love the question. Um, super passionate about all things multifamily and especially our, our products in it. So um, to, to sort of start at the basics um, over the last call it 15 plus years since the great financial crisis, the entire sort of bridge space in all and most asset classes has become more and more institutionalized. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's been institutionalized on larger deal sizes, you know, call it middle market and up. So five, seven million dollar plus loans. That's been fairly prevalent, but there's been a huge void in everything below that, which is a, a lot of where people start, cut their teeth and grow their portfolio. And so uh, our industry, we like to call it private lending, has come in to put um, and fill that void. Um, so that's just the, a very high level background because you're right, absolutely before that void was, you know, was filled, has been filled, it was only hard money. You know, you had to know a guy, it was the hard money yeah. guy or girl, <laughs> and um, you know, they, they'd bang you over the head with some expensive capital, but it served a point. Um, nowadays, Bridge is uh, an extremely common and often looked at financing vehicle for multifamily. For a couple of reasons, um, which I'll circle back, I can circle back to in more detail, but specifically bridge loans allows you to take a property from position and condition A and go to position B. And the loan itself is like it's called the bridge between the, the A position now and the B position at the end of your business plan. So how we look at a loan is very much what it, what's the assets condition now? You know, is it stabilized? Is it occupied? Is it performing? Where is it underperforming? Does it need CapEx, deferred maintenance and things like that? Uh, we look at then the business plan to get the property to stabilization um, and so on and so forth. That's again, sort of position B. And then we underwrite off of and lend off of what is in place now and also a combination of what it will be. So it's the mm -hmm. as is valuation, tied to an as stabilized valuation in the, in the multifamily realm. And we're analyzing a, a sponsor operator's business plan. Is it feasible? How long will it take? Uh, what will it do to sort of financials and, and um, you know, profitability and NOI uh, throughout it? And then at the end of it, 
And so we're writing uh, bridge loans. We take a little bit more risk because a lot of our properties aren't stabilized. A lot of them need a lot of, uh, you know, sort of lift, heavy lift, if you will, on CapEx side, or again, in, in deferred maintenance uh, to where on a permanent financing product, uh, it has to be a stabilized property. It has to be positive NOI. In bridge, we don't have to have positive NOI. There's you know, different ways that we can structure that. Um, but the bottom line is the condition of the asset has to be more pristine and it has to be spitting out you know, positive cash flow to support the loan. And therefore, permanent financing is not as much looking at what could happen to the property. It's more of what is happening to it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'll lend off of. Whereas us in the bridge world, we can see where it's at, see where it's going, underwrite the two and the path to get from one, one A to B, and then provide a loan that, that helps facilitate that. So what does our loan look like differently? They're almost always, you know, call it shorter term loan, shorter duration, um, just because most permanent financing vehicles, you know, end up, whether it's, you know, 10, 10 year fixed or 20 year, 30 year amortization. Uh, we are typically a uh, two to three year interest only product. So therefore your cash flow or your debt requirement is lower because it's interest only versus an amortized principal and interest product. Um, and then also we're typically financing some realm of construction holdback CapEx, if you will. Mm. Um, and so that is put into the loan. Um, and when we are doing all of those components and analysis, it also typically will be able to provide a higher loan amount, higher leverage mm. than a permanent financing product. Um, again, just because we know that uh, an operator is going to reposition it and realistically create value. By creating value, everything improves and we can therefore, you know, lend a little bit more because we know that you're going to be increasing value, which will support the loan as it continues to progress in, in the plan, uh, the business plan and reposition. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I had a just in, I had a partner that brought us a deal with Bridgedead on it that was going to be part of the business plan. And just so I can give the listeners an idea of what this was, and obviously it wasn't from your firm, but 7.99%, uh, three years interest only, one year, no payments. And um, you know, this is like the type of thing and you're probably, so you have that four, 5%, you're paying higher over probably a permanent loan you'd get with a Fannie Freddie or another, or uh, some sort of bank or a credit union. But um, that's what you're allowed to do. So you have a year, before you start paying this interest only. And then you have two years there. So you have uh, that three-year window to get it uh, up and running, get it seasoned and get it uh, refinanced or sold. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, that's uh, very comparable to how we look to structure something. Uh, thankfully, we are a little bit sharper in pricing than, than that. <laughs> so um, thankfully, but at the same time, you know, it's essentially a difference of uh, one and a quarter to one and a half percent in interest rate. Um, is the equivalence of an interest-only payment versus an amortized 30-year payment. You know, if you can get 30-year amortized, if you're going traditional banks, a lot of times they're shorter duration. So again, it just puts it in perspective that even though a rate might be higher, the debt service is lower, which allows you to afford the payments. And many times we'll wrap the first number of months payments into the loan um, because we know there's, you know, low or no cash flow at the beginning, because the, the, the plan is reposition it to and create value and create increased cash flow. Yeah, that makes that's great because then the operator does not have to raise funds that are going right out the window for debt service. We can now make that we can put those funds that we're actually getting in whatever portion of income that's already coming in. Hopefully there's some income that's already coming in on the property. We can use that for uh, building up our reserves and then using it for the repositioning. So that's, that's an awesome, um, that's an awesome benefit. Can you explain to us what 
I mean, who is a bridge loan used for? I always tell people not to get one on their first deal or something like this. I'm like, go with something that's a little bit more already set that you can walk into permanent lending, permanent loan kind of situation. What would you suggest when someone comes to you uh, that they can use this product? Yeah, so um, really great question. And the way that I would answer it, I mean, I think your guidance to anybody starting out in multifamily is probably wise because it's look, it's sound. It's you would think it sticks and bricks and people in, in you know tenants or residents in a unit and they pay rent or they don't and you just collect money and you know everything's good. It's you know it's the good old mailbox money and you know stabilized or non-stabilized property you run into challenges and it's a lot. So removing any component to where you have to reposition and take a property from A to B may be the best route for somebody getting into the multifamily space. So that's why I would say definitely agree with with your feedback. But to your question, who and when would it be used for? Um, First and foremost, there's a number of assets that just won't qualify for traditional debt. So let's reference agency guidelines. Agency, you have to be at 90 for 90, as they call it, 90% occupied for the last 90 days in order to be eligible for most agency Fannie Freddie multifamily loans. So if you're not 90 for 90, you probably need a bridge Mm -hmm. loan to then further stabilize the property to get to 90% occupancy. So that's number one. Number two is when you're buying a property that has true, a very clear path of value creation. You know, there's two main types of value creation in multifamily. I'm sure you could create a bunch more categories or subcategories at that, uh, but it's either value add by, you know, investing money into increasing the quality of the asset, AKA investing capital expenditure dollars or renovation money. You're renovating units and you renovate a unit so you can get more in rent. And then that higher rent's gonna give you a higher yield on the, on the property. So that's number one. And then the other one is uh, typically like the mismanaged play, whether it's a lower occupancy because just management wasn't good at leasing and retaining their tenants um, or just other challenges with somebody running a property at stabilization. So who's going to use those products? Somebody that can see an opportunity, buy a property, maybe and hopefully at a discount of what the stabilized value is going to be. And they have a clearly defined business plan on, again, how to get from position A to position B. So circling all the way back to the the point you made up front is if you're a newer investor to really be able to lay out a business plan and then more importantly, execute on it is a lot to take on. Because I'll say this, Charles, I don't think, and and tell me if you've seen, if you would uh, confirm or deny, I don't think I've ever seen a pro forma that looked bad, right? (laughs) Like on paper, it's really easy to show this is the plan, this, you know, whether it's a stabilized property or not. So the the real question becomes, is it feasible? Number one, and are you, do you have the capabilities to do it? Do you know how to do it? Do you have the resources, the connections, whether it's, you know, contractors or better property management company and so on and so forth. So hopefully that paints a pretty detailed picture on who and when somebody takes out a bridge loan. I will last say, um, it is extremely common nowadays for people to look for bridge loans to try and get higher proceeds, a higher loan amount. Higher loan amount means you, have, you don't have to invest as much equity yeah. and money into the deal up front. So what we're now having to underwrite and try to protect everybody against, we're, you know, let's hope we're not at the peak peak, but we're at the peak or close to the peak of the market. So how much more room is there for cap rates to compress and you to just buy a property and hold it and it just increases value because it appreciates. Um, so we're really having to truly underwrite the business plan and make sure that there's validity in creating value, 
because otherwise nobody wins in that scenarios scenario the property doesn't perform nobody can give a permanent financing product on it and then nobody wants to buy it for anything more than the last person because they bought it at the peak of the market and we are extremely diligent nowadays to make sure there's not sort of falsely created business plans and that there is true value creation when we're going to write a, a bridge loan. Okay. Uh, so with, with the lending environment, like you were just explaining, how has everything changed? I mean, I would consider us really kind of post COVID we're on the, uh, we're, you know, we have some, obviously a lot of effects from it that we're still going through. It might go through another year between um, everything with shortages and everything like that, but getting back to lending, uh, how has the environment, the lending environment changed now? Obviously, you're, you're looking at a lot more business plans. Um, but when we were back in like 07 and 08, and there was a lot of no-doc lending programs are out there, which uh, as you were in there, you probably know even more than I do, that uh, kind of led us into this recession. Have you seen any of these products coming up? Obviously, we're seeing, I see 80% loan to value on bridge loans all day long and uh, stuff like that. What else what do you see kind of going on in, in like with where we're getting in this frothy market? Man, and I love the F word that the frothy market <laughs> is the best way to describe it, man. Um, so look, let's be transparent. The great financial crisis uh, lenders were scapegoated for a big reason for the crash. And, and honestly, very rightfully so. Um, as a result, and one of the reasons that pushed me out of residential lending, and I know we're talking multifamily, mm -hmm. but um, everyone's become a lot more sensitive, whether that's uh, the, the government-sponsored entities that oversee a lot of this, that provide liquidity to the market, Fannie and Freddie is who I'm referencing there. They've imposed a lot more strict guidelines to get away from, you know, stated no-doc loans mm -hmm. um, because it, it just it hurt the market. Um, people were lending too much on valuations that were too inflated. Um, and so not only that, but then the money providers, the banks, the lenders behind it, um, they tightened up as well. So I'm very confident that, look, anything can happen in these market mm -hmm. conditions. There's a lot of economic uh, distress that's either on the surface or could come to the surface. I am very confident that lenders will not be a, a big reason or a reason for any sort of crash. I think it'll be other, yeah. other items. But what's different is, again, just a lot more diligence in how loans are underwritten. Uh, there's no more of that sort of fly by the seam of the pants. And if you want money and you got a pulse in a property, I'll lend it to you. That, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, and then more specifically in a shorter window with the whole pandemic that happened to us all, um, you definitely better have had your seatbelt on when looking at different financing vehicles over, you know, almost the last year. But, you know, the last couple of months, it's settled down. It was a choppy ride. You know, lenders pulled out. They paused. Yeah. But the good thing is almost everybody's come back. The products, everybody, you know, how do you reduce risk as a lender? You give lower loan amounts, you increase rates, things of that nature. So that all happened over the last, over, you know, 12, 15 months. Um, but now things are settled back down. The market is still frothy. Um, in order for people to buy properties and, and, and show a good yield to themselves or their investors, we as lenders have to provide cheap debt because again, mm. the prices are so crazy. So with the cheaper the debt we provide, the more diligence we have to do. That's what we learned from the great financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of things that have changed in the last, again, 15 months in lending, but we're actually back to where we were pre-COVID. If anything, I've started to see some products and pricing like interest rates of products get even more favorable than when they were pre-COVID, just because again, there's so much more uh, pent up demand and, and even less supply than we ever had before the pandemic. So therefore, 
you know, we in the lending side want to deploy money and therefore we got to sharpen up in order for good operators to be able to buy properties with our financing mm -hmm. and drive yield for themselves or their equity partners. Interesting. Okay. Great answer. What, um, like, so an investors listening to the show right now and they want to reach out and uh, start, start with you. When does, when does a investor supposed to reach out to like a lender like yourself? Are they doing it when they're thinking about buying, when they have a signed LOI, when they have an executed uh, PSA? I mean, how does that work? How do you like to have it done? <laughs> look, I'm one, I'm one in that regards. It's always going to uh, look on the side of conservatism. So, um, you know, we have no problem uh, analyzing, you know, underwriting for an LOI, a property that somebody doesn't even have on a contract, because we're mm -hmm. big believers in um, just, we want to make sure that a, a sponsor borrower is prepared uh, for what we would require on the financing side, and then what they can get and what they need to go, you know, source or raise mm -hmm. or invest in, in, in their equity side. So my guidance is uh, always do it earlier than later. Very frankly, Charles, mm -hmm. Most people, though, uh, don't necessarily take, take up that advice. Um, you'd be so surprised, and maybe not, at how many people lock up a deal and then they start looking for their lending options. And as you probably know, also for their equity options, yeah. right? Which is it's a, a delicate balance, right? It's very, it can be very difficult. Um, but nowadays, most lenders will look at pre-qualify, whether it's a soft quote, as we call it, or an LOI. Um, uh, a deal uh, at no cost and no obligation, no fees. And that's what we do too. So yeah. anything that we do to give guidance on what we can provide financing is free, no cost, no obligation. Therefore, I always just tell you, might as well start earlier so that you can better put your pro forma together to make sure that the cost of capital and everything else is going to work and that you get the right returns based on how much equity you have to invest in a deal. Yeah. And they should also reach out to you and get an idea of what's going on. So if you tell them, Hey, these properties that you're targeting, we can only do 75% loan to value, just making stuff up. And then, you know, and then we know where this is a spread and we know this. So now when they're out there, they don't have to call you every five minutes and say, Hey, how about on this property? How on this? Now you have an idea and they can use that when they're doing all their numbers through their underwriting. So when they bring you something, then it's all set uh, to the most part, maybe something's changed in that time frame, but um, you know that's just what it is. But it's something where, yeah, a hundred percent. So, real quick, I know we're talking mainly and focusing multifamily, but on the single family realm, we actually encourage you to do it as early as you would want because we will actually approve you as a borrower, mm. tell you all the types of financing we can, you know, we can give you for a fix and flip or a rental loan up front before you even look at any properties. Now, on the multifamily side there's a lot more dependency on the asset, but we can absolutely give generalities, especially for specific markets. If you're targeting an, M an MSA for an acquisition um, and then also, you know, analyze what your qualifications are as a borrower too, because you're, you're right. Like you should want to know how much leverage, because that's going to depict how much equity you got to invest or raise. And then also what your, you know, returns are going to be, whether cash and cash or IRR. Yeah, that's great because I actually had someone email me today about uh, when they should get approved for a hard money loan, if it's beforehand or after. So, and I was like, I usually talk to them beforehand, stuff like this. And they said they're lenders. So I was like, they got to get a different lender, but I'll send me <laughs> your information afterwards. But um, let's, I always like talking to you when I'm talking, we're, we're in this market, the frothy market, and you must have people calling you all day long, uh, asking you about, uh, I'm a first time investor, I'm a set, whatever it is. What anybody in commissions, I like asking them, when is an investor that reaches out to you and how are you able to recognize that they are serious and they warrant your time or someone on your team's time? Ooh, that's a tough, that's a great, but uh, tough question. Um, 
Because I'd love to just give a simple, it's sort of a gut instinct <laughs> because it somewhat is. Yeah. Um, but uh, one, you know, look, in the private lending world, a lot of how we qualify a borrower, it's, it's more non-traditional. We're not, looking at, uh, we're not looking at your tax returns. I don't ask you for personal or business tax returns. So we're not looking at that type of stuff. What we look for is proof of execution and formal experience. So mm. you can't always, I mean, not everybody has experience and you always got to start somewhere. Um, but the bottom line is what I tend to hear and see, and this comes also from a little bit of the business lending experience, running credit, and making credit decisions, is listening to cues on people who want to, who would, if they could do something versus somebody who says, no, I'm doing this now. I did this before. And it doesn't have to be you bought a property. It could be, oh, you know, I, I looked at this acquisition. I put in an LOI to buy it. I lost it but only because I underwrote it diligently and I was more conservative and they wanted a, a, you know, a frothy price per se. So, you know, to me, the very conceptually, I look at people that are doing versus people that are talking about doing. And to me, that's one of the mm -hmm. sort of instinctual yeah. signs to me of, you know, if you're doing something, you know, we we're, you're more likely to, to run into results, right? So massive yeah. action equals ma massive results. No action always equals almost no results, right? So yeah. that's a, from a very high level, how we'll look at that. But again, it ties also into proof of execution. Have you done it before? If you've done it before, you're likely going to do it again. And we'll, we'll help people of all shapes and sizes. Again, no experience to extreme experience, professional um, and, and, you know, to us though, it's a phenomenal question because myself and my sales teams are asking ourselves that question almost every single day. Yeah, I would imagine. So, uh, what are common mistakes you see real estate investors make? Yeah. So I'll tie it into, you know, sort of bridge realm to, uh, having no detailed business plan, um, no realistic or attainable business plan is, is easy to specify, but even more importantly, not really having a business plan. Um, you know, how you're going to navigate through whether you're repositioning an asset or you're just buying it and going to run it the same way that has been run by the previous owner. You have to have a specific business plan. And, you know, there's a level of too much specificity. But at the same time, the, the biggest fault that we see is, you know, I, I said the same before, fly by the seam of your pants. Like, oh, I'm just going to buy it. It's a great buy. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to sustain <laughs> the profitability and cash flow and performance? Oh, I, I mean, it's doing good now. I'm just, it's just going to be great later. You know, like you got to have a business plan. That is the biggest, that is the biggest reason for people to fail. Um, and then the other thing is uh, it's cliche is talked about in most investing circles, but it's tried and true through every single economic cycle, you make your money on the buy. Mm -hmm. So you have yeah. to do diligence to make sure that you're getting a good purchase. Um, if you're buying a property, right. And at a so-called discount, then you have a little bit of buffer room for error because we all make errors mm -hmm. and real estate forces us to make errors. It can be unpredictable. Um, but you know, you need to have diligence on, on any acquisition, single family or multifamily of any shape and size. And without that, uh, you're, you're going to run into challenges, even in a, a market where there's been all this tailwind behind us and cap rate compression and things like that. Uh, great answer. What do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success, Nathan? Oh, uh, it's just one. Uh, just, I grind it out, man. I, I will outwork anybody. I mean, no, I, I know many people work harder than me, but that's my mentality. Um, you know, I was, I was born with some God-given knowledge and, and, and uh, talent in that regards, but I'm certainly not the sharpest 
I'm definitely not the most skilled or experienced and I'm certainly not the best looking, that's for sure. But I will work my butt off And that. And to me, you look at almost anybody of success, um, that, that is synonymous. Um, so I have this inner burning clock that just keeps driving me. I love the word grit, a uh, great book by Angela Duckworth to plug mm-hmm. that. Um, but, you know, having um, tenacity to persevere uh, on short-term initiatives through uh, long-term goals uh, is, is sort of what, what keeps me ticking and what's led to any realm of success that some of my team. Awesome. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? So uh, very easy. Our website is lima1.com, L-I-M-A-O-N-E. Um, you can find me directly, lima1.com slash Nate. It's sort of a, a specific page. There's an inquiry form. You can shoot it, uh, your information in there and we can reach out. Um, otherwise, on all social medias, uh, Nathan Tronfio on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Uh, we pride ourselves in putting out as much valuable content. Hence why we're in, uh, why I'm in this podcast here, because I see nothing but valuable content from everything from you, Charles. Well, thank you so much. I will put all those links into the show notes and I want to thank you uh, for coming on today and hopefully looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you, Charles. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.